studying on Wednesday nights this matter about the truth and how the truth is not for sale. Uh, we're back in the book of Daniel tonight, and uh, you should have a copy of the outline uh, that, that we put out tonight that was in the prayer page. But we want to go back to this, uh, this passage in Daniel. And, of course, last week when we, when we got into the book of Daniel, in verse number 1, the Bible says, In the third year of the reign of uh, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And we talked about uh, Jehoiakim was whose son? Josiah's son. Now remember, there was a great revival that took place. Remember the, how that, that the house of God was in disarray and uh, Josiah was leading the people back to God. They found a copy of God's word and they began to read it. And, and of course, he was leading people back to the truth. And then, of course, after Josiah, his son Jehoiakim, and of course, uh, everything started to go downhill. They, the revival was over. And, and so tonight, we're, we're, of course, in the book of Daniel. How many of you, are out of curiosity, how many of you, especially the maybe the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, how many of you are fairly familiar with the book of Daniel? Fairly familiar. Now, I'm not saying you have to know it inside now, but you have a working knowledge of the book of Daniel. Because we're not going to really cover the whole book of Daniel, but uh, it's important for us to understand. Now, I, I didn't, it, how many of you grew up in church? Grew up in church. Okay, so a lot of you that raised your hand, you're familiar with, you know, the, the uh, burning fiery furnace and the lion's den and all that type of stuff, right? All right. And uh, those were stories, by the way, don't take those for granted. A lot of times we think those are children's stories. Those are tremendous passages in the Word of God. I still love to read about the Hebrew boys, and I still love to read about Daniel and the lion's den and so on. And I, I think they're, they're great truths there. We may get to some of that. But a, as we look at the book of Daniel tonight, I want to use this illustration. You know, sometimes when you're out, uh, my wife and I, you know, we, we don't do this here in Florida because... Florida is flat, but when we lived in California, we, lo we loved to hike. Uh, we just, we really enjoyed hiking. Uh, not that we were avid hikers. We just loved God's creation. We loved the beauty of it. Uh, we loved to get out. And sometimes when you're out in God's creation and you get away from the city, you might see a beautiful river, uh, much like uh, we got a picture of a river. I think I put a picture up there, Brother Mike. No? Yes? Give me, a, give me a picture. There we go. And so uh, like a lot of the hikes, notice the, the valley that the, the river was in. And, and sometimes if you're out and you're walking along and you're hiking and, and you see this river and then all of a sudden, if you notice, the river goes down and then it disappears. And you're like, where in the world did that river go? And look at the next slide is, and then it comes out maybe a half mile, mile, a couple miles down the valley. That river was, was, it disappeared like it wasn't even there. And then you see it again, it, it, it appears. And it, you know, when you think about that, that river was actually there the whole time. What happened was, is the river went in the ground or underground and came back up out of the ground. It surfaced down downwind somewhere well that's the way god is god is always there whether you see him all the time or not now a lot of times you think about the world we live in and you think about all that's going on in the world we're living in and you think is god you know a lot of people say is god dead 
You know, why is all of this happening? Does, doesn't God know what's going on? And, you know, sometimes, listen, sometimes we can't see God. Now, again, with our physical eyes, we've never seen him, but I'm talking about the evidence of God. But I can, I can assure you, whether you can see evidence of God or not, God is always there. Look, what, here's a great verse, if you haven't seen this, Isaiah 45, 15. Verily thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. Sometimes that's what God will do. Now, not in a sense that God is playing hide and go seek with us. But there are times where God may not be as visible as, as at other times. God is often doing some of his greatest works during those times when you cannot see him. And, and sometimes even when we cannot see God, in other words, what happens is, is that to us, God is in some form or another, he's being silent. Do you know that silence is a great tool? How many of you have ever taught? Anybody ever taught? You know, being a teacher, something that's very effective with your students is silence. Because we live in a world of noise. Sometimes, sometimes some of my classes would, would get so loud while I was teaching, and it's like you're, you're trying to get above the noise of each other. And so I would just, I would try to get louder and louder, and I don't have no problem getting loud. You can ask my kids. But I, I realized, unless I was going to yell or scream or whistle, and so I just stopped talking. And then the students would realize, okay, we need to stop talking. But do you know that's what God has done many times, is God has just gone silent. Remember the 400 years? 400 years of silence? 400 years of waiting? 400 years of questions? I mean, listen, if we live to be 100 that would be four generations. And of course, it's probably a lot more than four. But that's a long time for God not to say anything. After all that he said in the Old Testament. And you come to the end of the Old Testament, and, and listen, why did God get silent? Because his people weren't listening. Time and time again, he tried to tell them. And yet, they just kept turning a deaf ear to him. They would not listen to what he was saying to them. And even though God was silent for 400 years, listen, God was still working. God doesn't have to talk to be working. Let me illustrate. You see if, you see if this is true or not. And in, in some of what I'm about to share with you, uh, follows, follows the pattern of the Word of God, it probably falls a little bit more on the historical side of, of this world more than the biblical side, but you can find much of what I'm about to share. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a condensed version of how even though God was being silent, God was still working. For instance, the Bible tells us that there was a man 
that showed up at, after the 400 years who was named John. John shows up on the scene. They called him John the Baptist. And John starts preaching repentance. I mean, it wasn't a, wasn't a fun message. Well, why was he preaching repentance? Because for all those years, man was doing whatever they wanted, that which was right in their own eyes. Israel, as a people, went into bondage. They, they went into captivity because of the sin of idolatry. So John shows up, and what does the Bible say? That, that scores of people went out into the wilderness. They left their comfort of their homes to go listen to this man who was preaching, you're not right with God, you need to repent of your sin and get right with God. Now, why was John so popular? Because he was following 400 years of no revelation. See, what happens is, is the Bible, the Word of God, the truth, just becomes another book to us. We hear God so often that His voice doesn't mean anything to us the way it used to. So John comes on the scene and John begins to preach to them because God was speaking through him just like God did through the prophets. Now, if you really believe that God is the one that establishes kingdoms, even earthly kingdoms, God setteth up kings and God removeth kings, there was an empire that was allowed to come into power, and that was the Persian Empire. Well, see, I really believe that God allowed the Persian Empire to come into view. When you study many things I could say about the Persian Empire, but I believe God let the Persians historically rule during this 400 years of silence. In other words, God was, there was no new revelation from God, but God was using this Persian Empire uh, to do his talking at this time. Persia created a foreign policy during the 400 years of silence, and the policy was designed, part of it was to let the conquered Jewish people return home. And when they returned home, some of the most important thing they started to do at that time was to rebuild the temple and to rebuild Jerusalem. Hey, listen, that was God speaking, even though he was being silent. That was God working. The Persian Empire came to an end, and God allowed the next empire, the Grecian Empire, to come into rule, and that was during the 400 years. And, and of, of all the things that happened during the Grecian Empire, they let the people of Judah at this time have a fair amount of rule over themselves, but the most significant thing that they, 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 they contributed during this time period was the language known as the Greek language, which is the language God used to give us what is our New Testament in our Bible. God then allowed a group of Jewish people during a period known as the Maccabean period. Now, if you want a little bit of history, 
Josephus wrote much about the Maccabeans. Uh, you, could, you could look at some books that are not inspired of God, that, that First and Second Maccabees, that are part of what they call the Apocrypha, that are not a part of the Word of God, and you can find a lot of the history behind the Jewish people. This is also during that 400 years of silence. But, but what happened was is that during that time period, the Jewish people claimed their independence, and this was a time when they, they as a people returned to the idea that there is one God. And the hope was restored towards the Messiah coming once again, which was a theme in the Old Testament that had gone by the wayside. You say, well, God was being silent. There was no revelation. God was still working. God allowed the Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, the time of the Maccabean period, and then, and then we all know which world power came into view after that, the Roman Empire. And this Roman Empire uh, took power and stayed in power, and they were in power when Christ comes on the scene. Jesus was born into a Roman world, and one of the things that, that the Roman Empire did was they introduced the system of roads and, and, and uh, business systems along with that. And, and it, what they did was they used the Greek language. Now, again, God used the road system and the language to further the gospel of Jesus Christ to the known world at that time. It was a roadway that God used to get the truth about his son. And it's amazing when you look at that, and there's so many other things that you can see that came into view, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, many of those groups of people, uh, many of the writings of the time came into view during this 400 years where there was no open revelation from God. Yes, God was silent, but God was still working. And the Bible says in Galatians 4.4, listen to this, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. You see, when God was ready, when God was ready to start to communicate again with mankind, then God chose that time and he chose the place. See, it appeared that God had gone silent, but really God did not go silent. And when we come to the book of Daniel, as the book of Daniel opens, we saw last week, God was silently allowing that his people had departed and that there was devastation because of, of those that were in charge, those who were ruling. And of course, there was, remember we talked about desecration, the, the, the articles that were meant for the house of God, for the worship of God were carried into a pagan land. And so God allows this to happen and there was compromise everywhere. The world at that time, just like the world today, was heading for destruction. See, the world we're living in today is patterning the world of Daniel's day. And I love this verse in the book of Ezra. Notice there in your notes tonight, Ezra 9.8. And the Bible says, And now for a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. Isn't that a great verse? 
I love how sometimes people use the, the words there, and they'll say it like this, a little space grace. You know, almost like it's a little space dust or something. But really what he's saying is, is that, look, no matter how dark it seems outside, no matter how sinful this world is, God's grace is still evident. God is still working. The Bible says that God allows there, he has left us a remnant. Space for grace is what the verse is talking about. And that's why God leaves us a remnant no matter how dark it may be, why would God leave us a remnant? Because it's still the same story. God wants that remnant to come back to him. You see, as a people, as a nation, the United States of America, we've gotten away from God. And the only thing that's going to bring us back to God is the word of God, the truth of the word of God. And God has left himself a remnant. Look at Isaiah 1.9. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. I think we all know what happened to Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And what God is saying is, look, it could be that America will become just like Sodom and Gomorrah had it not been for God extending a little grace to us. Uh, giving us a remnant. Romans, look at this verse in the New Testament, Romans eleven five. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. See, God's promise that there's always going to be those that will stay true to God, those that will come back to God. And so I want you to see tonight from the book of Daniel, as we think about this matter of the grace of God, even during dark days, Look what it says here, first of all, I want, to, want you to look at the purpose of God tonight and how the purpose of God is revealed, just like, just like that picture of that river that went underground, it disappeared, but then all of a sudden it reappeared. And when you think about studying this, this book in the Bible, Daniel, and of course the history of the children of Israel, and thinking about the world we live in today, listen, God has a purpose, and God has a plan. It's not like God's saying, well, what am I going to do now? The world's in such a bad shape. God has a plan. God has always had a plan. Now, look at Daniel chapter 1 and verse number 3. Look what the Bible says here. The king spake unto Ashpenaz, the, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed, and of the princes. Now, when you look at that verse, listen, nothing ever just happens with God. In other words, there's no accidents. God, God always has a, a carefully orchestrated purpose and plan. Psalm 18, verse 30, as for God, his way is what? It's perfect. God's way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler or a help, a shield to all those that trust in him. God doesn't make mistakes. God accomplishes his purposes. But watch this. How does God accomplish his purposes? That's where we come in. God accomplishes purposes in us. You see, yes, Daniel and the Hebrew children were taken from their homes, taken into captivity. But listen, there was a purpose behind that. I'm going to talk a little bit about how this is even relative to you and I today in our lives. But God makes no mistakes. He accomplishes his purpose. Oftentimes we think it's a, 
a bad thing, and certainly it's not a wonderful thing that Daniel and those that were his friends ended up in captivity, but God had a greater purpose in mind. Just like Joseph, when Joseph was sold into slavery and Joseph ended up where he ended up. Listen, he, Joseph said, you thought to do evil, but he said, God meant it for good. God has a purpose. Look what it says here as you think about God not making any mistakes. Psalm 147, verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and holy in all His ways. God doesn't make mistakes. Everything He does. I, I was talking to somebody earlier today about something going on in their life, and I said, look, you have to believe God loves you, God makes no mistakes, and that there is a purpose that God has brought this into your life, and you must trust God even though you don't know what the purpose is yet. That's what I see here. Listen, it was a, it was a, a dark day. God had been silent. All of a sudden, everybody's like, God doesn't love us. Why? Because God's not speaking. God may not be speaking, but God was still working. God is always working on our behalf. We only see life, it, it, look, this is how we see it because we're human beings. We see life from the playing field. You know where God sees life from? The blimp. God's up in the Goodyear blimp looking at the whole thing. We can only see so far. God sees it all. God knows every last thing that is happening. And if we stay focused on the Lord, God's going to lead us through this life that we live. It's going to be an amazing life, and it's going to be an exciting way that God will lead us. Look at Jeremiah said, he says, God records here, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you what? An expected end. That means God's got a plan. Look, yes, they went into captivity, but God says, listen, I I'm working here. I'm trying to accomplish my purpose, and, and the neat thing is, is that he was going to do something with those that had been taken into captivity. We all know Romans 8, 28. Look at it. Let's read it together. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his what? His purpose. God has a purpose. God has a plan. And you and I can trust God's purpose in our lives. And so within that purpose of God, notice that as God is working, God has a purpose for our lives. But I want you to see within that purpose, we begin to see, secondly, the preparation of the ungodly. Because look, the devil's not just going to sit in a corner and let God work, right? Right? The devil's going to fight. And we see that going on here. It is the preparation of the ungodly begins to unfold. God's people, yes, they were uprooted from their homeland. They were carried away as captives into Babylon. But within that group of people, listen to me now, within that group of people that were carried into a strange land, into a heathen land, were those that God was preparing for a great work. Look what it says in verse 4 of Daniel 1, how the Bible describes them as children. This is how they were when they got there. Children in whom was no, what? Blemish, but were well favored and skillful in all wisdom, 
and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Now, when God, look, you look at the the description of those individuals that, that were right in the midst of that group that got carried into captivity, when God has a work to do, God is looking for people that are available, that are pliable, and that are dependable. That's what God's looking for. People that want to be used, and God is still looking for people today that are available, that are pliable, and that are, as we see it here, dependable. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, when he brought these captives, these young Hebrews, you know what he was doing? You know the story here. He was looking for captives that he could train or brainwash or twist them in the way of the heathen, but God had already prepared them. See, these Hebrews that came, God had prepared them in advance. They were men that were exercised in body. They were, they were men that were educated in their minds. They were excellent in their spirit. Listen, not only, not only the Hebrew men, but remember there's a book in the Bible by the name of Esther. Remember Esther? She was another one. She lived during a time of great testing. And there were changes in Esther's life, just like in Daniel's life, changes going on all around her. And God's people were in danger. You know that uh, her people, the, the Jewish people, they were in danger of extinction. And what did God do? God prepared Esther. He put her in the place that she was in. She was in the right place at the right time. Listen, that was no, no mistake. That wasn't some, uh, you know, luck. That was the Lord that put Esther where he put. Look at Esther 4.14. If thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knowest whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Now, is this just true in Esther's day? It should be true in our day. God didn't put you in a palace. God put, the, put you in the city that you live in. God put you in the family that you're a part of. God put you at the job that you work. God put you in this church. I could go on. I hope you're getting the idea. God put you where he put you for such a time as this. You see, you, you can't just go, boy, I hope there's a remnant somewhere. No, no, no. You are a part of the remnant. You are the person that God is saying, I want to use you. Look, just like Esther in her day, we live in very difficult days, do we not? Every time you look around, you hear the news, you, you listen to what's going on in the world. Listen, folks, it's just as dark today as it was in the days of Esther, as it was in the days of Daniel. And when I look at what God did with this extraordinary young woman and these extraordinary young men, I mean, listen, Esther, she thought that she was insignificant. When you read the book of Esther, you can sense that. She was, she was scared to go before the king. She thought, well, who am I? 
I'm insignificant. You, you read about how Joseph, he didn't really understand why he was treated the way he was treated. Or you can use the word mistreated. You think about Daniel. Daniel probably wondered why he was, why he was taken from his home, why his homeland was ransacked the way it was. I don't know if I have all the answer to that, but I'll tell you this. It's evident from, to me as I look at this situation that God was preparing each one of these people and so many more for his purposes. God's going to prepare you or is preparing you. Uh, God has been working in my life, preparing me for what God wants me to face, and what God wants me to deal with. Look, the world we live in today, the unsaved world has no regard for God. They have no regard for the purpose of God. Satan is trying to influence and he's trying as best he can with, with, his, with his evil foes to intimidate God's people. And, and what the devil wants us to do is he wants us to think that God is unreliable when times get tough, that God can't handle situations. Why isn't God doing something about it? And so the devil wants us to think that, that we need to depend on him if we're going to survive in this world. And that's where you come to the third point. Look at this. Not only the, the preparation of the ungodly, but notice the provision of the godlessness of this world today. And it was the same in Daniel's day, the godlessness that they dealt with. Folks, I mean, every time you turn around, there is nothing that resembles God in this world today. Look what it says in Daniel verse 5, a couple of verses here. You look at this. The king appointed them. Now, the them is those that were were, were exercised, those that were taught the ways of God. The Bible says the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank. So nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they, may, they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. In other words, what, what they were doing was that the Babylonian leadership were changing their names. But what I love about it is they could change their names, but they couldn't change their nature, <laughs> who they were. Uh, th listen, folks, the world is constantly trying to change God's people to make us less like God, uh, to, to get us away from the, the ways of God. And it's sad how many Christians today look to the world to meet their needs when the Bible says in Philippians 4, my God shall supply all your need. God doesn't say, hey, let this world supply your needs. He says, I will supply all your needs according to my riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The, the Bible says in Psalm 23, you know the verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You, know, you, have, the God, you have God in your life, you don't need what this world has to offer. And, and, and when credibility, in other words, where we want to be credible with the culture, if that's the goal of our life, here's what's going to happen is, if we just go along with the world, compromise is going to follow. And when we begin to compromise, what goes by the wayside? The truth, the Word of God. You see, the distinctiveness that we have because of the Word of God. See, they didn't want Daniel to be Daniel. They wanted Daniel to be just like them. 
a heathen. You see, God had changed them. God had prepared them. Psalm 118, look at verse 8 and 9. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. When we think about what they were trying to do here, they, they were on, and we are too, we're, we're always on dangerous ground when we're seeking the approval of man rather than the approval of God. We should always seek God's approval. Look at Jeremiah 17, 5, thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, maketh his flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Hey, that wasn't Daniel. That wasn't his, his, those that were there with him. That wasn't Esther in their day. And that shouldn't be us in our day. Departing from the Lord, making our flesh our arm. Look, we need to be people that seek approval from God that when trouble comes and times are changing around us and the temptation comes into our lives to compromise. Listen, here's what we need to do is we need to look to the Lord as we have never looked at him before. I mean, there needs, to, there needs to come a time where we, as the songwriter wrote, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Look at Psalm 46 here, verse 1. You think about this. Here's what we need to do. Because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, there is a river, the streams whereof shall, uh, shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early, folks, listen, our eyes must be focused on God, they must rise above this world and the powers of this world. Look at Psalm 121. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, which hath made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy helper. The Lord is is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. And listen, even, even, listen, even in Daniel's day, when God may be silent, can I assure you tonight God is still working, even though we may not hear that still small voice. God is still working, and part of God's work, what is he doing? He is preparing a remnant. Folks, that's us. We don't make up the majority of this world. We will always be a minority, but I'll tell you this, with God, we are the majority. And when I think about how God is still working, He is preparing a people, His people. Why? Because He wants us and this world to come back to Him. God is still working. And it ought to thrill your soul to know that even though we can't hear God, we know God is still working. And I hope this encourages you tonight 
to just keep trusting God, even though you don't know what his purpose is, God's purpose is always for our good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. And I thank you for the encouragement as I sat and I, I, I began this afternoon again thinking about Daniel and so many others that were taken from their homes, from their homeland. Lord, we have been blessed to live in the United States. Lord, there may come a day where we may have to take a stand in our day outside the borders of our, our land. And I pray that you would give us the courage and the strength, help us to trust in you no matter what comes into our lives, knowing that, God, you have a purpose behind it, that you want to use us. We understand the devil is, is always working. But God, I pray that your will would be done and that this world would come to know you before it's eternally too late. And we'll thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.